Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here. Glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Praise God for a beautiful day, huh? Amen. So I want to open up here with a, an article, part of an article that I read on uh, the Gospel Coalition website. About six months ago, a pastor in Kenya told his congregation that they could be saved by good works. In his pews were about 80 children from a nearby orphanage, ranging from second grade to high school. The kids came home visibly upset, said David Peterson, who runs the Christian compound where the orphanage is hosted, along with a Christian classical school and a teacher's college and a, um, and a farm. They were really distraught, saying, this isn't what the Bible teaches, this isn't right. They were debating and asking questions, said David's wife, Julie, who co-administrates with the campus with him. It was really good. Within a week or two, most of them switched to other churches. The children had just finished 30 weeks in a daily Bible study on the book of Romans, so they knew grace backward and forward. But the timing wasn't just an unlucky coincidence for the pastor. These children are in the middle of a 553-week Bible study. That's more than 10 years of memory verses and study questions. By the time they get to grade 12, they will have studied 90% of the Bible verse by verse, David said. The ministry responsible for this curriculum is called the Rafiki Foundation, and its aim is to rescue African children from physical and theological poverty. So because these orphans knew the Bible so well, they were able to protect themselves and others from bad spiritual teaching. And in the passage we're going to look at this morning, the, the Apostle Paul preaches the gospel to a group of Jews called the Bereans. And the Bereans had the same mindset as these four, uh, 80 orphans, to search God's word to see if Paul's preaching was true. So if you have your Bible with you, please open up with me to Acts chapter 17, verse 10. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your spirit, and we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate the word for us, that you would be the teacher of our minds and our hearts, and that you would change us into your image. God, we pray for protection against our minds, against um, Satan and the world, and just ask that you would bless us in a special way now, Holy Spirit, and we pray this in your name, amen. All right, I'm gonna read Acts 17, 10 to 15. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So, um, 
It's been a few weeks since we looked at this map. Let's see if we can look at the map just to see where we're at in Paul's yeah, missionary trip here. This is Paul's second mission trip. And Paul and Silas and Timothy, they had just been up here, let's see, up here in Thessalonica, modern-day Greece, uh, where the Jews were angered, it said, by his gospel preaching, and they were also angered because so many Gentiles were trusting in Jesus. And, uh, and so one day in Thessalonica, the Jews formed a violent mob, and they tried to hunt down uh, Paul, but he escaped uh, during the night. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they ran... This is about 50 miles uh, from Thessalonica to Berea. So 50 miles this way until they got to Berea. And, and when they got to Berea, they didn't, it's amazing. It, it just says that Paul was fi- basically filled with the, the, the courage of the spirit again. And he went right into the synagogue and kept preaching the message of Jesus. And uh, it says here, though, that the Berean Jews were very receptive to Paul's teaching. Many of them trusted in Jesus, along with many of the God-fearing Gentiles uh, who were there. And, and what we see then is, is uh, as we've seen before in Acts, whenever God advances his kingdom in the hearts of people who, who are trusting in the gospel, Satan counterattacks God's advances by stirring up persecution against those Christians. He persecutes those Christians. And, and in this passage here today, the Jews back in Thessalonica, they heard that Paul uh, was still alive, that he's in Berea now, and he's preaching the gospel. And so they were so adamant about killing him that they traveled that 50 miles to, to Berea, and they stirred up this angry mob just like they had done in Thessalonica. And it says the new, these new brothers, these new Christians in Berea, they protected Paul. And they sent him eastward to the sea. And just so we can see this, because it's kind of interesting. They, uh, they sent him here to the sea, and he went a long ways. He went all the way down this path, down here, down here, all the way to right here, to Athens. And then once he got to Athens, uh, he said, he sent a message to Silas and to Timothy and said, okay, I want you to come now and meet, meet with me in, in Athens. Um, so that's kind of what's happening in this passage. And I want to focus most of our time, though, in verses 11 and 12 here, because I think that's the thrust of this passage. And again, it says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So Luke says that these Jews in Berea were much more noble than the, the Jews in Thessalonica. Okay, that's the first thing he does is he compares these two groups. That's because the Thessalonian Jews, they had not been receptive to Paul's testimony and to listening to his, his preaching, even though he was a former Pharisee uh, with a lot of credibility. And the, the Thessalonian Jews, they quickly, they violently rejected both Paul and Jesus Christ. And so Luke wants us to know that that's not the case here with these Berean Jews. The, the Berean Jews took Paul seriously, and they were eager to hear what he had to say about the Messiah. And the, the text says that the Berean Jews were very discerning and wise in how they listened to Paul. They didn't believe everything he said simply because he was uh, a former Pharisee with this incredible testimony. Verse 11 says that the Berean Jews examined the scriptures daily, to see if these things were so. And most likely what that means is that the Bereans returned to their synagogue for several days to search the Old Testament scrolls. Uh, Since the scrolls 
in those times that were copied by hand, they were very expensive, uh, very, very few people would ever own those. They were more of a, something the community owned. And, and there was probably just one copy for everybody, and they kept them there at the synagogue. And so they would have come back to the synagogue and, and looked at those scrolls. And then verse 12 says that after consulting God's word, it's interesting that it has this word, therefore, meaning it's connected to the previous sentence. And so because they saw the truth of Paul's message in alignment with the Old Testament, therefore many believed. And they put their trust in Jesus Christ. And even today, this is a common way for people to come to faith in Jesus. By simply reading God's word for themselves and seeing for themselves that the death and resurrection of God's son Jesus really is the only way that we can have peace with God. And again, guys, I want to invite you, I mean, uh, Keith already mentioned it, but please, if you're able on, on May 17th to join us for 90 minutes, we're trying to do a men's event that it's not too long, it's 6 to 7.30, you still get your Friday night, and you get some good food. But this was a key part of David Sammy's testimony, is the power of God's word in his life, and to, to teach him the truth. And, and uh, it, we, we never want to es- underestimate the, the power of God's word, man, when the Holy Spirit shows up in a powerful way and just works through his word um, in, the, in the hearts of people. So um, with this passage, then, I want to spend the rest of our time here drawing out seven applications um, for us. First, as Jesus' followers, we must be people of his book. As Jesus' followers, we must be people of his book. Uh, I want to show you this short video. For some people, their experience with God is existential, or their concept of God is made up, and I think that the Bible is really the only way that we can know God. Bible explicitly points to Jesus. The Bible explicitly teaches us how to live, how to know God rightly, how to obey, how to become dependent on Him. The Bible is a huge, is a huge part of it. And that's really the, that's the starting point of experiencing God. Because if you leave it up to yourself, then who knows what you'll conjure up in your own mind. And I think as you begin to read the Bible and the Holy Spirit opens up your heart and your mind, it's crazy, but this Bible changes you. It changes everything. You begin to see God for who He is. You begin to see how affectionate He is towards you. You begin to see how much He loves His people. You can't know that without the Bible. I used to hear people all the time tell me, well, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Well, how, how, do, how do we know that? How, how do we know that? Well, I just know. I just feel it. And that's cool. I mean, it's true. But for someone like me, I needed to know, how do you know that? And I think the Bible is explicitly clear. It tells you. The whole Bible, Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, points to Jesus. My purpose in life is to love God, love people, and bring Him glory. 
I know that purpose because he tells me that in the scriptures. So Joshua 1.8, God says, the, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Psalm 119, 160 says, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. John 8, 31 to 32 says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 14, 23 to 24, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And in John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So God's word is the, Bi the Bible, God's word, the Bible, the scripture, I'm using those terms interchangeably. It is, it is so closely tied to God himself that at the Last Supper, Jesus refers to both God and the Word as truth itself. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then later at the Supper, in John 17, he prays to God the Father, your Word is truth. So to believe God's Word, then, is to believe God. And to disbelieve God's Word is to disbelieve God. And we are bombarded every day by messages that claim to be true. And some of them may be true, some of them may not be true. But we have to decide whether these messages are true or not. And God has given us his word so that we can use it as the touchstone to decide which truth claims are true and which aren't true. In the book, Risking the Truth, Martin Downs asks 20 Christian pastors and scholars what they think the greatest threat to Christianity will be in the next 100 years. And across the board, they said that the greatest threat we face is abandoning God's word. Because there are dozens of serious, important problems facing our church, our society, our world, and all of those problems will only worsen if we refuse to believe that the Bible is true and authoritative as God's word. Things will not get better. The, the Old Testament, I'm reading through the Old Testament right now, it, it demonstrates this over and over and over again, right? Whenever the Jews stop following God's word or when they forget the word altogether, they, it says, and everybody lived as they saw fit. And that's when the society unraveled. But when they obeyed God's word, they were victorious and blessed and they flourished. And as followers of Jesus, we've gotta be people of Jesus's book. That's what he's given to us. His commands and his good news must form our core convictions and shape how we live. 
That's what it means that we are disciples of Jesus. We're not mere converts who show up once a week and then go live however we want. This means we are 24-7 disciples of Jesus following the master's word. And if you ever hear a, because this is kind of, I've noticed some, you can have pastors and teachers who are really solid theologically at one point, really stray from this, or some pastors and teachers who never were solid, but I would say this. If you ever hear a self-reclaimed Christian teacher, preacher, author, or leader say that Christians value the Bible too much, you should run the other way. That's this cool, kind of progressive, foolish statement that a lot of teachers, well, some teachers make. If you hear that, that's not somebody you want to follow, okay? Application two. Ask God to give you a desire to be joyfully transformed by spirit-filled scripture reading, okay? Ask God to give you a desire to be transformed by spirit-filled scripture reading. See, the fact that the Berean Christians were eager to open God's word every day to see if the gospel was true, it implies a few things about them. It implies that these people wanted to know God, right? They wanted to know what God said in his word. It it implies that they were familiar enough with God's word that they could be given a scroll or a Bible and open up to a passage to see if it were true. Um, It also implies that they wanted to read God's word in a way that led to a changed life for them. Because if you read the Bible over, you know, a long enough period of time, you will accumulate knowledge about the Bible and its geography and characters and subplots. And, And that's a good thing, but it is not the best thing. The best thing is to be transformed by the truth of Scripture in such a way that you become like Jesus. That's the best thing. That's why in John 17, 17, Jesus prayed to God the Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus wants us to be sanctified, which means to be made holy like he is holy. Right? You see that command, God command that a lot in the Old Testament. And it, be holy as I am holy. Jesus said, be perfect as I am perfect. And this is what God wants for us, to, be, to be li- become like him because he's perfect. To be joyful like he is joyful. To be loving like he is loving. To be kind like he is kind and so on and so on. And, and the reality is that a major stumbling block to becoming like Jesus by reading his word is simply that we may not want to read his word. Right? Even though God has made many of us born again through faith in Jesus, we still wage war against our flesh. We still wage war against Satan and against the temptations of the world around us. And so we need God's help to do this. We need God to change our hearts about his word. Because I think what I'm finding in my life is when we really want something, we'll do it. When you really want something, you're going to prioritize your life around uh, that thing to make it happen. And the same is true with God's word. I mean, Psalm 119, 103 says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I mean, we need God to help us want scripture in, in that sort of way, that it's like honey 
into our mouths. And so I would say this, if you're struggling with a desire for God's word or, or maybe just the practicalities of making time to get into God's word, just be honest with God about that. Um, you don't need to sit and feel guilty and beat yourself up over the head about it. it. Just be honest with God and say, God, I need help here. Would you please help me? And I would say this is one of the, you know, we're, we're a church. That means we're connected to each other as a family. Ask other people, you know, if you've got a couple of other close friends or your community group or whatever, just say, you know what, I'm struggling with this desire, and I would just appreciate some prayer <laughs> for this. And, uh, you know, if we can't be honest with each other like that, what's, you know, what's the point of being here? <laughs> it's like that's, we need each other. We need to be praying for each other. And I would say this, that if you are not a Christian, I encourage you to do the very same thing if you're serious about finding out why you are on planet Earth is ask God to help you read his word and to show you the truth. If that's all you can pray is God, would you show me the truth? I'll read the word. Would you show me your truth? That is a great step for you to, for you to take. Application three Listen eagerly to scriptural teach or spiritual teaching with your scripture headphones on. Okay? Listen eagerly to spiritual teaching with your scripture headphones on. <clears throat> I really like listening to music. I've spent a lot of time researching different types of headphones. And there's a really cool and very expensive type of headphone that I do not have, but would like to someday maybe. And they have this feature called noise cancellation. And basically, noise-canceling headphones listen to the outside world, and they cancel those sound waves coming from the outside world so that in your headphones, you hear no outside noise at all, but only the music coming from your iPod. Do you hear that? It's not just blocking it. It's not just blocking the sound. It's actually canceling those sound waves. It's pretty incredible. And this is similar to how we want to put God's word to work in our lives as we filter the truth claims trying to get into our ears and into our brains and then into our hearts and then which, which act out in the way we live. We want to symbolically wear our scripture headphones to filter out the true stuff from the false stuff. And, and when we hear messages and truth claims from the world and from Satan and from our own minds that do not align with God's word, with God's promises and his gospel, then we need to cancel out those noises and not listen to them. Hear that? When the messages we're hearing don't align with God's word, we cancel those messages out and don't listen to them. We don't let those <clears throat> take root in our hearts and minds. What made the Berean Jews noble was not merely that they were eager to receive Paul's word. There are lots of people who are eager to hear something new to hear a new revelation, a new spiritual truth, a new prophecy from God. That's not necessarily noble or virtuous. Lots of religions do that. What made the Berean Jews noble was their eagerness to hear the gospel of Jesus and to test its truthfulness by God's word. Both of those. To hear the word and then to see it for themselves in the word. That's what made them noble. And... And the reality is for us that the, the exponential growth of technology and, and internet um, can be both a blessing and a curse, right? We, we live in an unprecedented age 
when we have more access to information and spiritual input and sermons and spiritual videos than any other generation in the history of the world. And with that proliferation of teachings and sermon videos and podcasts and television preachers and memes and more comes much false teaching. Much of it is subtle. Much of it is blended with the truth so that you'll take the bait and, and think that it's all true. That's how most people fall into cults or just wrong ways of thinking. They don't, they don't go off the, you know, the deep end buying into weird random lies. It's kind of like there's just some truth and then there's some lies mixed in there and then they take it all and then before you know it, they're believing, believing it all and believing the lies. And, and so you have to be careful. Don't believe that something is true simply because some well-dressed and confident person on your computer screen or phone says it's true. <clears throat> there are really intelligent people who are really wrong. Um, do not be easily wowed by flash and gimmicks and passion. Be wowed by God and the truth of his word. Uh, it can be very helpful to, to, to listen to speakers and teachers who happen to be engaging speakers and teachers, but just remember that some of the most engaging speakers and teachers in the history of the world were terrible people who led lots of other people to do terrible things. Hitler was a very good public speaker, very charismatic person, right? And a lot of people listen to him for that very reason. Well, look, he has a plan. He knows, he's confident. He knows what he's doing. It's a terrible reason to follow somebody, though. Um, it's certainly not a bad thing to be a charismatic or communicator, uh, charismatic preacher or communicator. But what's more important than um, charisma is is uh, the the character of the person speaking, and what's even more important than that is the communicator's truthfulness in their message. Because at the end of the day, if a person isn't speaking truth, the message isn't to be trusted. So uh, it's good to be eager to hear God's truth. Uh, just be sure to wear your scripture headphones so that you can cancel out the truth claims that are not true. Okay, application four. Examine the scriptures with other Christians. Examine the scriptures with other Christians. Reading and applying scripture in a group setting is extremely beneficial no matter how long you've been a Christian. That's the reality. Uh, because God uses other Christians to draw out many truths and applications that you might not see if you only read the Bible alone. And this is one of the reasons why it's so helpful to... Um, be part of a community group or a Sunday school class or some of these different opportunities we've talked about this morning uh, in the announcement time. Um, for instance, this past week, I mean, I was just thinking in our community group this past week, I was like, oh, I'm preaching on this. This will work perfectly. We had some questions just come up about Abram and Hagar and then later some questions about polygamy. And we were, you know, we were just talking about what does God's word teach about that. And, and before, man, before long, we, we all had our Bibles open and we were searching the scriptures to see if uh, we were remembering the story correctly about Abram and, and Hagar and to see if we were believing rightly what we thought the scripture said. 
God created the Bible to be clear enough that you do not need to have a degree or an advanced education or even other people to understand the gospel that it contains, okay? Uh, There are, that being said, many difficult passages in the Bible, but none of those difficult passages have to do with how to know God or how to be saved by God, okay? So God's very clear in his word that the eternal salvation from sin that we need and that he offers is only available to us because of his grace and we can only receive it through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. That should be very clear for a Christian or non-Christian who reads the New Testament. If they're gonna get something out of it, that should be a really crystal clear message. And so it's certainly not necessary to read scripture in a group setting in order to understand scripture. However, it can be very beneficial and edifying and transformational to do that. And again, it's, it's very likely that the Berean Christians did this together in a group setting. Just so a practice, because I think sometimes we hear about Berean Christians, we think about this, oh, it means I'm in my word every day. It's like, yeah, for us in the 21st century who are blessed to have the Bible in our language, that's, that, that is one of the applications, that's awesome. But historically, and where a lot of people are still in the world today, over 6,000 people groups do not have the Bible in their language. And so for them to have scriptures, they would most likely be reading and interpreting and applying it in a community setting together. So, uh, Application five, verse by verse preaching is very helpful because it forces the pastor and the church to stay close to the text. Verse by verse preaching is helpful because it forces the pastor and the church to stay close to the text. So if it's the desire of a local church to have preaching and teaching that sticks to the Bible, then verse by verse preaching is extremely helpful. Like if I were a young person looking for a church, like when I graduate from high school or young married couple or whenever, you know, if you move, that would be, if I were looking for a church, that would be up near the top of things I'd be looking for. Um, It's helpful because everybody in the church gets to read for themselves what the Bible says. Uh, Church members are not dependent on the pastors or church leaders. And just as a reminder, that's not how it's been from the majority of church history. The majority of church history, the Bible was preached in a different language. Or people were illiterate and couldn't read the Bible for themselves. Or there wasn't a printing press to have copies of the Bible. And so we live in a time where, I was thinking about this, it's pretty amazing. Every person in our country could have their own Bible if they wanted to. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Everybody can have a Bible. Uh, and and we, we just don't want to take that for granted. Uh, verse by verse preaching is, is helpful also because it forces the pastor and the church to consider the context of the passage at hand. That's very important to um, correctly understand and apply a verse You really need to see what comes before it, what comes after it, where in the Bible it is, who wrote it, where, what is happening in the story of God's bigger story, what's happening. And so when you're reading verse by verse, it's more likely that you're gonna get a better sense of that. Um, and, And then also verse by verse preaching is helpful because it forces the pastor and the church to hear God's agenda and not man's agenda. There are many texts, many, that a church or pastor might gladly skip over if they do not preach verse by verse. That's just reality, and that's why a lot of churches don't talk about tough stuff, because it's easier not to. Um, that being said, I want to be clear. Verse by verse preaching is certainly not the, the one 
right way to preach. My fa- one of my favorite preachers, Charles Spurgeon, did not preach verse by verse. Um, and he was wrong. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but uh, even in our church, though, there, there are certain times, right, where we have certain uh, issues at hand that we need to address topically or have a, a sermon series, and that's good. I just think in general it's good to have our, our standard mode of operation being let's, let's just plow through a book, let God set the agenda for us, and that way we will, we're going to get the whole counsel of God. So, um, Application six, uh, being a biblical Christian uh, does not mean that you need to take target at church leaders or other Christians every time you disagree with them. Um, some Christians, <laughs> it's kind of a funny point, it's a personal point, but it's also not a personal point. Um, some Christians, you know, take pride in being a Berean Christian, like that's a cool idea in one sense, as long as it doesn't lead to a sinful pride, right? Uh, for instance, it, it's not healthy, I would think, uh, for any member of a church to have ongoing skepticism about your leaders or even an attitude of hostility toward them simply because they're in a uh, position of, of authority, Right? Um, now, if you're involved with a Bible study or ministry or church where the pastor is repeatedly saying, uh, strain from the gospel of Jesus Christ, strain from the orthodox teachings of Christianity, um, and from a responsible and reasonable interpretation of scripture, you should be concerned. And you probably don't want to hang out there long. Um, but just because you don't agree with every single point of theological minutia that a teacher teaches doesn't mean you need to reject them as a false teacher or choose not to partner in gospel ministry with them. Uh, in this room, for instance, we have hundreds of people who would largely agree on the core elements of the gospel and the historical Orthodox Christian beliefs listed in our church statement of faith. And at the same time in this room, we have dozens of people who would interpret and apply issues of secondary and tertiary theological importance differently. And that's fine, okay? Because we're not saved because we perfectly understand God and the correct meaning and application of every sentence in Scripture. We are saved through faith in Jesus who has already died for our mistakes and our misapplications and whose Holy Spirit is helping us to learn and to apply his truth one day at a time. Okay? It doesn't mean we take a flippant approach to scripture, of course, but it just means, thankfully, um, and I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, you know, I think probably we're going to, um, for those of us who are believers, we're going to see Jesus face to face, and if we get to talk to him about how we've interpreted and applied certain passages, we'll probably figure out we did a few wrong, okay? And that's okay, and honestly, we really actually need that because I think for some people, it can be paralyzing to want to get it all right. And that's a good thing, I think, to want to honor God rightly. However, the gospel has to enter your mindset and say, at the end of the day, I can sleep because Jesus died for me and my faith is in him. Okay. <clears throat> Application seven, uh, many great resources are available to help us read the Bible that we've had at, in no other point in history. Um, and some of you know this, and, and, and I, but I, I don't want to, I, I just want to cover a few things in case you don't. You know, whether, whether you've read the Bible for the, you're reading it for the first time, or maybe you've read it several times, um, 
I think it is helpful to set some attainable goals for yourself. I think that's a good thing. Um, like, if you've never read through one of the Gospels, I think that would be a good goal for you to set. To say, I want to read through the Gospel of Mark. It's 16 chapters. It's the shortest Gospel. It was the first one written. I just, I want to read it. That would be a great goal for you to set. Um, and... You know, if, uh, or maybe for you, you've never read through the, the New Testament of the Bible or through the Old Testament or through the whole Bible. Whatever that goal is for you that you think, man, this is an attainable goal I could do if I spent 15 to 30 minutes reading a day. It is amazing how much you can cover when you just consistently devote a small portion of your day to Scripture. Not that it has to be a small portion, but it adds up. It adds up quickly. Um, this year, my wife Cindy and I, we, we're doing something we've never done before. We're reading through a chronological Bible uh, in, the year, in a year, which means it's arranged a little differently in the order in which the events happened. And it requires some discipline, and we get a few days behind, and then we catch up. And, but it's cool because we can now talk together about the same passages we're reading and what we're learning and how it's pointing us to Jesus. And I really think, you know, that's very helpful, having somebody else do it with you. I think that's, you know, one of the reasons we're a community of faith. and uh, It's just, there's a lot of things in life that are harder to do by yourself. That's why, you know, even like weightlifting, which I don't know anything about at the moment, um, but Dylan does, it's, it's easier if you have a partner. It just is. And it's easier to get to the gym if you have a partner keeping you accountable. Just like, we got to go, I know, I know, you know? And it's, it's easier to, to say, okay, I've got this goal, and I've got another person with me reading through this, and, and that helps. Um, another thing I would say is, you know, I've, um, there's a lot of different Bibles out there, and you don't need a, this is just a Bible with the text in it. You don't need a commentary. However, if I encourage you to get, have one study Bible, at least one study Bible in your house, uh, which, which uh, has notes at the, the bottom, which can help explain difficult passages to you. It doesn't mean that's necessarily the one right um, commentary on that passage, but it should probably point to you to a few of the orthodox options of what that passage might mean. Um, the two that I use are the ESV study Bible and the NIV Zondervan Study Bible, and I'm sure there's plenty of other awesome ones out there. That's just what I use. Um, and just as a side note, I know this is weird and countercultural, um, but I encourage you to use an actual physical Bible in addition to reading the Bible on your phone. And this is something that one of my professors in seminary convinced me of. Uh, you learn things using a physical Bible that you don't learn using the Bible on your phone only. Um, you do not become a better handler of where books are at by only using a, a phone app, right? You don't, have to, you don't have to know where any books are. You just call it up and it tells you. You don't really see where that passage you're, you're reading is in the whole of Scripture. Um, if, and so... I would say that. I'm kind of a purist that way, I'm finding. I don't know if that just makes me old or what, but I think, I think, you know, the more electronic we get, I think there's a lot of advantages to having a physical copy of things, especially a Bible. Um, 
If you're new to the Bible, or if you have kids, then I recommend you buy the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, this is an actual verse-by-verse bi- verse Bible, but it's just an excellent book that goes through all the main stories of the Old Testament and New Testament and show them how they, shows how they weave together and point us to Jesus. And then we also have Bibles for kids that go along with our Gospel Project curriculum. And then <clears throat> I think how else does Scripture encourage us or, or command us to... to um, engage with God's word. Well, we're supposed to hide it in our heart, is what scripture says, and so that implies meditating and memorizing some scripture, and this is where a phone app might be real helpful. I use a, uh, you know, an app called Fighter Verses, and it has a lot of, it's by Desiring God, and it has a lot of great memory verses picked out for you, or you can just make your own, and, and it's, it's a helpful thing, you know, when you're waiting in your doctor's office or whatever, and you just say, well, I can read the news, which is depressing, or maybe I can, you know, just um, meditate on one of God's words and try to get it into my heart. Um, and then also, another cool thing is there's tons of free apps, obviously, for your tablet or whatever, uh, or your phone that, that reads scripture to you. And so, you know, if you're in a car, it's like, man, you can plow through a book of the Bible pretty fast, uh, just listening to it. And, um, and so there's lots and lots of resources. I'm not going to go on and on, but I would just encourage you, like, take advantage of those resources if they will help you get into the Bible. And uh, on our church website, we have a, a resources section, and you can look more at that if you want to see more of the kind of resources we encourage you to check out. And, and let me repeat, though, just so we're, we're talking clearly here. The goal of this, of Bible reading, um, is not merely to gain head knowledge about the Bible, but because Jesus says that God uses his word to make people like God. It's the tool. <laughs> and, and so one of the encouraging lessons we learn from the Brian Church here is that following Jesus is something that we're doing together as a church. Uh, yeah, we can isolate ourselves from other Christians and we in America are pretty good at that. We can isolate ourselves from the world around us, but that is not the New Testament model that's laid out for us. Uh, it doesn't mean we have to be an extrovert or totally at every social event the church does. That's not what it means. But it does mean, Piper, John Piper says, that our sanctification is a community project. When you look at all of the one another's of Scripture, it's a very community-oriented project. When you look at, in the Greek, a lot of the yous that you see are plural yous. They're not singular yous. When it's saying, you do this, you do this, meaning he's talking to the church, family, you do this together. And we don't have a way to, uh, to say that in the English language except for y'all. And we're in Washington, so <laughs> that doesn't really work. But maybe we need a, a new translation with y'alls in there. I don't know. But uh, the, the reality is, you guys, as a church family, <clears throat> we're stronger together. We are, we're stronger uh, when we, we read and examine God's word together, when we share the gospel with, other, with, with non-Christians together, not just alone, um, when, when we sing worship songs together to the Lord, when we serve others together. And... Um, And so I'd say this, at the end of the day, I think what we can extract from this passage is that God is our authority and we learn his will for us through his word. God's word is truth itself 
It is the measure against which we test all truth claims. And we do not read the Bible in an attempt to make God happy or in an attempt to make ourselves more acceptable to him. Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again to make us acceptable to God and to adopt us in his family forever. And when we trust in Jesus then, when we trust that God loves us, that we are accepted in Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit gives us a desire to know this living God and the living word that he has given to us, this God who loves us so much. Let me close by reading this, this passage from 1 Peter 1, 22 to 25. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, in all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Um, thank you for your love. Thank you that you are the truth and that you have clearly revealed your will to us through your perfect life, God, and through <coughs> the scriptures that you have preserved for us, God. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to want you more and to want your word to shape our lives more, God. Um, we know, Lord, that when we do things our way and when we turn our back from you, life unravels in, in ways that it otherwise wouldn't. Uh, life is very hard as it is for all of us. And so I just pray that for those of us who love you, we would be reminded of your awesome promises by reading your word, that we would be encouraged by the hope of your living reign in our lives, God, and all that that means for us. Um, I pray that you would make us abounding in love, uh, that we would love one another and non-Christians well. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.